0: Welcome to Death Walks With Us. I'm your host, Angela. Before we begin, a little house cleaning if you will. I have decided to continue my education and I start another graduate college on Monday. It was a very recent decision and I got accepted just a week and a half ago and thought I would only get into one class as almost all of the online classes were filled. But as people dropped classes, I was able to take their spots. So college and making money come before my podcast, which just means that every other week I will be doing um, like a shorter episode, uh, what other podcasters call mini episodes. These episodes will be about 30 minutes long. They won't be the more complicated cases like this week's case, but as I am still learning what works best here, these mini episodes I feel at the moment will be the best way to go, to be able to get my listeners an episode each week. So, that means, instead of taking a week off to do a big case like the Night Stalker, I might just do a couple weeks of mini-episodes. I will let you know as I go along. Anyways, if you have any suggestions for a case, look up the Death Walks With Us group on Facebook and let me know. Or use the Twitter. At At the moment, I have just a few followers on Twitter for Death Walks with us, so follow me on Twitter and join my group on Facebook. Oh, and like and follow me on your apps. So with this case, I read the Queen of True Crime and Rules book, if you really loved me. I looked at a lot of other articles and they all pretty much said the exact same thing Anne Rule did. It appears she covered just about everything in this book, so this will be about the only source I will post in the show notes. I will post some articles for events that happened after this book was published, so on with the case. On March 19, 1985, Two days after the Night Stalker's reign of terror had somewhat officially begun in neighboring Los Angeles County with the senseless murder of Dale and Veronica, another young mother, 23-year-old Linda Bailey Brown, was murdered while she slept in Garden Grove. Orange County, California Just a quick background on the four main people this tragedy centers around. David Brown was born November 16, 1952, in Phoenix, Arizona, the sixth of eight children to Arthur Brown and Manuela Brown, who was Hispanic. David would try to erase his Hispanic roots and pulled away from his mother early in life. From what I read, he also appears to look down on her. He denied ever loving her and would verbally torment her when he got older. Now it is hard to determine if he had a violent or what can be considered normal upbringing, as many stories contradict. At 15, he did meet Brenda Krugs. She was also 15. Brenda's father was her mother's first husband, and she did not know him. Brenda would be the eldest of her mother's eleven children, and she grew up in poverty. David's physical appearance was not that good, but it was his promises of protection that attracted Brenda to him. David was super possessive of Brenda, so much so she said he would make her wait outside restrooms when he needed to use them. Then Brenda got pregnant. Because of their age, they had to get parental consent to marry, and they did on May 13, 1970. Both were 17 years old. Cinnamon Brown was born July 3, 1970. David was very fond of his baby daughter, and he became the center of Cinnamon's world. He made a strong effort to be that center. It was as if he was programming her. Through welfare programs, David was able to get his GED and take courses in the newly developing computer field. David wanted Brenda to be completely dependent on him. He got mad at her when she had her neighbor teach her to drive as a means to surprise him. David liked women and cheated on Brenda multiple times, so Brenda left him, which enraged David so much, he went to her job and held a gun to her head, stating that all familiar line, If I can't have you, no one can. Brenda told him, Go ahead and shoot me. The police would lock you up forever. David said later that he had every intention of killing her, but what she said took him by surprise and he left david never really got over her it seemed as he grew wealthier he would flash his wealth to make her jealous that she wasn't with him brenda was no longer that young woman who needed him she had grown up It should be mentioned that David was a hypochondriac. He constantly had supposed health issues, and it is very important to this case. It's always there in the background, shaping his excuses and actions. And doctors brought into this, and he was on so much medication. David would remarry multiple times. He was married when he moved next door to the Bailey's. David supposedly had numerous health issues, and multiple times he was dying of cancer. He told that to Ethel Bailey, the mother, that he was dying of colon cancer this time, and paid some of her daughters to take care of his house while he died. But, as you may have guessed, he didn't die, and his cancer miraculously went away. One of these girls was Linda Bailey, who was 13 or 14 years old at the time. David had been immediately attracted to Linda, but because she was too young at the moment, he dated her older sister. Life was hard at the Bailey house. Ethel was described as an alcoholic, but Linda reminded David of how Brenda had been when they first met. Like Brenda, she was one of 11 kids and lived in poverty. David took care of this family and would buy them much-needed food and other goods. Linda started dating David when she was fifteen years old and he was twenty four years old. When Linda reached seventeen, Ethel gave her consent for her to become David's wife. They went to Vegas and got married on June twenty first, nineteen seventy nine. They separated on August fourteenth, and by September eighteenth, David sued Linda for divorce. For a brief time, he had given her the home she had wanted. David soon married for a fourth time, but this didn't last long, and they divorced, because David was still sleeping with Linda. So David took Linda again to be his fifth wife. Eventually, David owned his own company called Data Recovery. This allowed him to set his own hours and to work from home, so he could take the day off in the middle of the week and take trips. David recovered lost data of the companies. It's not like today. Back then, data was stored on hard disk, and David developed a process that cleaned the disk enough so he could transfer the data to another disk. It didn't require that much knowledge. It's a basic cleaning process with Q-tips and some cleaner like alcohol. This was to fix damaged disks from like disasters like fires and whatever. He had started at one company, but after learning enough from them, started out on his own. His process recovered more data than the company he had worked for, and he did become very successful with this company. All this would feed his ego, as he claimed some major companies hired him, even the Pentagon. He hired many of his family and Linda's family to work for this company, making them dependent on him for their incomes. But only Linda knew his whole process. The rest of the family only knew parts of it. David and Linda got their own place. Patty would spend weekends at their place, and eventually Linda would ask Patty to move in with them. Patty claimed she was being molested and raped by someone in the Bailey household. David was a private person and did not like Linda talking to her family about them. Cinnamon would live with them off and on, and by March 19th, she was living there full-time. And by this time, David had also pulled Patty from school and had hired private tutors for her. Now, back to the morning of March 19th. At 3.26 a.m., an officer received a call to head to the Brown home for a possible homicide. He thought it was odd that no one was out on the street to flag him down. He had to have dispatch tell them to come outside so he knew what house. He was greeted by a man who told him he thought his wife had been shot, but he had not looked in on her. A young woman nearby was holding a baby and crying. The officer went into the bedroom and heard a gurgling noise. He checked for a pulse. But couldn't find one. He didn't feel any breath nor see her chest rise. She was still neatly half covered as if someone had snuck in and shot her while she slept. Paramedics arrived, moved her to the floor, and began life-saving measures. This was not a death rattle. Linda was barely alive. They rushed her to the hospital where she was clinically still alive. The doctors worked hard to save her life. With no time for anesthesia, they cut open her chest, reached in, and started massaging her heart. Nothing worked, and Linda was pronounced dead at 4.26 a.m. Linda was shot twice in the chest. She died from blood loss as one of the bullets hit a vein. The other one would not have killed her by itself. From debris from the gun, they were able to tell that one of the shots was 12 to 20 inches from her. At the crime scene, the arriving officer had noticed a revolver laying on the bedroom floor. This would turn out to be the murder weapon. The one thing that stuck a lot of the police investigators as odd was that the home was packed full of new, expensive furniture, electronics, collections, etc everything appeared to be brand new as the police were looking over the house trying to figure out what happened they found three empty prescription bottles on the dryer and a star trek glass from a fast food place one of those collectibles they used to sell right away 32 year old david and 17 year old patty told police that they thought 14 year old cinnamon brown shot linda cinnamon could not be found Patty told the police that she had thought she saw Cinnamon after hearing the shots, and that she saw a figure that looked like Cinnamon exit out the back door. The police had searched the house, backyard, and a trailer out back, but could not find her. Police wondered what kind of violent girl they were looking for. David chain-smoked a lot and visited the bathroom frequently during questioning. The investigators started right away with questions, they needed to understand what happened and how to find Cinnamon. David told them that she was an angry child who did not fit in with the rest of the family. He wanted her to enter counseling, but told the investigator she threatened suicide if he made her go to counseling. This would be a reoccurring theme. He would say that Cinnamon would threaten suicide to get out of situations. He would describe a child that was out of control. With reconstructing the day, David said that day his parents had been over and they had played Uno. Cinnamon had left halfway through the game and gone out to her trailer. With further questioning about this trailer, they were told that there had been troubles with Cinnamon and three weeks earlier Linda had kicked her out and supposedly after speaking to Brenda they decided to let Cinnamon live in a trailer out back. He also transferred her to a different school. David also said that Cinnamon refused to help with chores, and did not get along with Linda nor Patty. Even though she was banished to the backyard, she did take her meals inside the home and watch TV. David said that he had been out with Cinnamon and Patty, and Cinnamon had been very verbally abusive to Patty, and then when he got home, his mother and Linda were arguing over their 8-month-old baby and how the best way to handle a crying baby. Linda thought it was best to let her cry it out, whereas Manuela thought it best to cuddle a baby till they stopped. Honestly, I agree with Manuela. A baby cannot communicate, and when they cry, something is wrong, and that is the only way they know how to voice it. Anyways, afterwards, he and Linda got into the same argument, and he agreed with his mother. So, eventually they did make up, but this argument still supposedly upset him so in the middle of the night he got up because he couldn't sleep and he left the house he is very detailed as to where he went he went to a local 24-hour Mart where he bought a soda and pie left then came back in and bought some comic books which he and the clerk joked about he then headed to the beach Stopping at a Denny's to use the bathroom. He described the waitress he saw and also said he didn't buy any food because the place was full of Hispanics. Remind you, he's half Hispanic, but he despises them. Then he headed home where he was met by a hysterical Patty holding his child, saying his daughter, Cinnamon, had tried to kill her. The police do check out his movements, and it was confirmed. That is exactly what he did in those hours leading up to Linda's murder. Now they also talked with Patty, who described the situation from her point of view. She said Cinnamon must have had some issues with her mother and she had moved in with them. She had agreed to share her room with Cinnamon, meaning Patty had a bed and Cinnamon slept on this rolled out bed that came out from underneath Patty's bed. Patty also described a very disturbed teenager, that everyone loved Cinnamon and bent over backwards, but nothing helped. About Christmas time, Patty said Cinnamon started being very moody and by January started talking about killing herself with a gun. Patty said that Linda tried, but couldn't take it anymore and kicked Cinnamon out. On the nights of March 17th and 18th, Cinnamon asked if she could sleep inside in her room, and Patty said she could. She felt there was something wrong, but Cinnamon would not talk to her. And then about midnight, Cinnamon had a gun in her hand and asked Patty how to work it. When questioned, she said, just in case. Patty thought it was for emergencies, as the trailer was not hooked up to their security system. Now, guns were not a big deal, as the family went target practicing a lot. But for some reason, Patty didn't think it was a big deal either for someone who wanted to kill herself to be asking about how to work a gun. Patty said she went to sleep, and Cinnamon was in the living room watching TV. She woke to a gunshot in her room and saw Cinnamon standing by the door, who then ran out. Patty heard the baby crying, and then another shot and then another. Patty ran to the nursery, got the baby, and ran back to her room, not knowing where Cinnamon was. Patty said she sat on the floor with her back to the door. Then this is what she said. And then I heard a very quiet knock on the front door. I thought it was Cinnamon, and I wouldn't answer it. Then I heard another quiet knock, and I went into the living room by the entry, and I listened. I heard a key in the lock, and I knew it had to be either David or Linda, because Cinnamon didn't have a key. Patty was relieved to see it was David. Before I continue, let me say this, as I am sure everyone is thinking it. Patty told the police this in her initial interview, this is, this is extremely suspicious. At 3 a.m. you knock quietly twice before coming in, when you know everyone is sleeping? Oh, David denied it to the police that night, said, why would I knock on my own door? And this part does get omitted from her story in the future. Anyways, she told David that she heard shots and saw Cinnamon with a gun. He checked the whole house, except the master bedroom. Supposedly he was afraid, and he couldn't handle the sight of blood. Then he called his dad, who told him to call the police. Oh, and then she says David sent her outside to look for Cinnamon with the baby in her arms, and she did, but she couldn't find Cinnamon. So the police asked some standard questions of where might Cinnamon have gone, if there's any other family or any friends. Patty gave them a couple of names, but then told them Cinnamon talks more to her imaginary friends than real people. Patty emphasized Cinnamon's invisible friends named Minard, Oscar, and Aunt Bertha. Patty told them of how she would walk into rooms and Cinnamon would be talking to them. This suggested that maybe Cinnamon lived in a fantasy world. Patty also said that Cinnamon had an older boyfriend. She didn't know his name, but his nickname was Steely Dan. The police went and woke up her friends, and when they questioned the friends, her best friend Krista said Cinnamon did not have any boyfriends and that Cinnamon was not allowed to tell anyone her address nor give out her phone number. They didn't hang out that often because Cinnamon was always grounded. She was constantly put on restrictions. It had been really hard for them to maintain their friendships because of this. Krista said that Cinnamon would be put on restrictions for the slightest disagreement with her dad if she challenged him even the slightest. The police continued the search and encountered numerous dogs on the property. Cinnamon had left a miniature puppy in her trailer and there was dog feces all over the floor. They took the puppy out and put it in the fenced-in section with the other dogs. The main investigator, Fred McLean, watched the dogs. They were acting nervous. They kept running to the dog houses that were lined up against the garage without going in them. The puppy kept slipping through the fence, and he grabbed it and went inside the dog area. Then he realized the larger dog house was not empty. Inside, he found a small human covered in urine and vomit. He called her name and reached out his hand. Cinnamon reached out hers and took his hand. When she came out and he looked in, he could see about three dozen orange capsules in her vomit. Cinnamon clutched a rolled-up pink paper in her hand, tied with a purple ribbon. Once unrolled, it said, Dear God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her. Now, instead of taking this 14-year-old child who obviously swallowed an unknown huge amount of pills that made her vomit to a hospital, McLean, in his great wisdom, took her to the police station to question her. Once there, she said she had a terrible headache and felt like she was going to be sick. They just handed her a waist and continued the interrogation, which during she would repeatedly throw up more orange vomit. Paramedics did come to the station to check her over. She appeared stable, but the paramedics said that could change instantly, but they continued to question her and had them stay on standby. In the questioning, Cinnamon appeared worried about her dad and kept asking how Linda was, and she continued to vomit. Cinnamon did acknowledge that she had shot Linda and that was why she was at the police station. And then she got upset when she was told that Linda was dead. Along with continuing to vomit, Cinnamon kept drifting off and falling asleep. She really should have gone straight to the hospital. She did tell McLean she was living with her father because she was a brat and kept going to the beach so she had to leave her mother's. She then said she was living in the trailer because Linda did not want her in the house and moved her out into the trailer. But Linda had wanted her to move far away and Cinnamon said Linda said, if you don't leave the house by the time I wake up, I'm going to kill you. Cinnamon said Linda didn't like her probably because she was daddy's little girl and was jealous of that. She also said that one day when her dad and Patty were at the post office, the baby was choking and Linda would not let Cinnamon help the baby. Then she talks about how Linda ignores her father and never hugs him. She also said that sometimes Linda hits the baby. Her dad said he saw Linda do that. By 8.40 a.m., Cinnamon's condition had changed drastically and she had to be rushed to the hospital. Cinnamon was barely awake, vomiting, but she still made some statements about her killing her stepmother. Cinnamon should have died. The amount of pills she swallowed should have killed her, but her body had started rejecting them. She was in the hospital for days receiving treatment as she developed pneumonia from fluid buildup in her lungs. She came close to dying by the time she reached that hospital. The investigation continued, and they found that no one in the neighborhood really knew the family. They kept to themselves and mostly did activities together as a family. The motive seemed at the moment to be that the 14-year-old being a product of a first marriage felt like an outsider. The father favored the new baby, and she was forced to live outside the family in a trailer. But the question was, Where did Patty fit in and why did it appear that she was favored more than Cinnamon? Questioning David's first ex-wife raised some flags. She told McLean that David had just been there to see her. He had told her to tell the police that Cinnamon was not that well behaved of a girl. David wanted Cinnamon to look like an out of control suicidal teenage girl. The question was, why? Was this a way for him to help her, or hide something? Brenda told McLean that Cinnamon lived with her dad because they had had a huge fight, and David said that Cinnamon said she would run away if she had to live with Brenda. Brenda said that Cinnamon had never said that to her, and Cinnamon complained to her of having to do all the housework at her dad's, that Patty never did her share, which was not what McLean was told. And then she dropped a bombshell. Cinnamon told her that she and Patty and David came home and heard Linda and Alan, Linda's twin, talking about getting rid of David. They left before being noticed. She goes on to say that Cinnamon said Linda was afraid David would leave her for Patty. And David said he was thinking of having an investigator follow Linda around. McLean questioned her about Patty's age, and Brenda said that David liked them young. Patty was Brenda's age when they got together. Then he questioned her about the imaginary friends. Maynard was a joke that started with David before Cinnamon was born, the other two she had never heard of. Alan the twin said that Cinnamon had started to change and also reaffirmed that Maynard was a joke and Patty had no sense of humor. Alan felt his sister Patty caused a lot of conflict in Linda and David's marriage, that Patty was jealous of Linda's position in the family. The investigators were learning that Cinnamon was not this wild, out-of-control teenager that Patty and David had painted her to be. Now good investigators will keep going over the sequence of the night with witnesses, and that is what McLean did. David was consistent with what he did, but his story from when he arrived at home kept changing over the course of investigation. The next time he met with McLean, he said Patty stopped him from going into the bedroom to check on Linda. Eventually, his story will be that he went into the bedroom and Linda was on the wrong side of the bed. He also has added that two weeks prior, Cinnamon had tried to kill herself with overdosing on aspirin. I know everyone is probably wondering this, so David didn't want to go back to that house and they only went to get some things. They left the dogs who all died of neglect. Sorry. As for Cinnamon, her biggest concern was if her father would still love her. Oh, and she had developed amnesia and could not remember that night at all. That is the story she will stick by for years to come. Cinnamon thought she would only be locked up for a few weeks max. Boy, was she in for a big surprise. The investigation showed that Cinnamon was responsible for the shooting death of Linda Bailey Brown. All the evidence showed that. Cinnamon was transferred from the hospital straight to juvenile detention. Her lawyer would try to do an insanity plea. Cinnamon turned 15 while waiting trial. She did not know that Patty was still living with David and the baby and that Linda was slowly being erased from their lives. In California, juveniles were try before judges, not juries. And on August 12th, 1985, The judge found Cinnamon guilty of murder of the first degree. After being found guilty, there was the question as to her sanity. Her mother brought up every fight they had, hoping that would help her daughter. Patty brought up her weird behavior and the supposed imaginary friends. Her grandmother also spoke of bizarre behavior. Her whole family tried to paint her as a very insane troubled girl. The judge found her to be sane. Oh yeah, her father did not attend her trial or the sanity hearing, as his poor health prevented him from going out, but he was there on the last day for her sentencing on September 13th. An investigator Jay Newell was sitting in court that day he saw that David sat right behind his ex-wife Brenda and acted like a child he kept kicking the back of her chair and pulling her hair all this while his daughter was being sentenced to serve 27 to life for the murder of his wife Linda and he did that all with a smile on his face now For juveniles, they don't serve that long in California. Usually just until they were 21, so she would only serve maybe six years. She was not tried as an adult. If she was tried as an adult, she would have had to serve that full sentence. Afterwards, the whole thing did not sit well with that investigator, Newell. He didn't think the whole truth had been exposed, so he wouldn't let the case go. And it's a good thing he didn't, because the story doesn't end here. Noel had run into David's sister in the parking lot, and she told him that David could be mean, and told him how Linda had assured her that cinnamon was not the problem, that they got along great. The only reason Cinnamon was moved out into the trailer was because Patty had wanted the room to herself. She didn't want to share and she always got her way with David. She also told Newell that Linda thought Patty might be dangerous, that she was afraid to leave her alone with the baby. Plus, she somehow had killed one of Cinnamon's puppies she had been competitive with cinnamon and always looked smug when cinnamon got into trouble david's sister also recalled how david had also come to her very soon after linda's death to tell her to describe cinnamon as disturbed and suicidal she also said david loved to orchestrate events molding them to suit him and his narrative So now Noelle was asking who was David Brown. So we know a little bit about him from the beginning of this podcast, but let's take a deeper look into him. David always got beautiful women, he collected them. Though by a lot of accounts, David was not that attractive at all. And Noelle would learn that David had to be in control. David had almost no male friends and his family was dependent on him financially. No one disagreed with him and they bowed to his wishes because he had the money and control over them. This was what David wanted, power and control. He had constructed his life to be able to get this control over people. He also went after young impressionable girls who had limited life experiences ones that were easy to manipulate and groom what would become apparent is that David was a narcissist who manipulated those around him to get what he wanted this is when the true story of David's charity to the Bailey household became apparent he had groomed the younger girls if he saw they were eating cereal for dinner he would go out and purchase fast food for every year. this was a luxury for them David was making a lot of money working on computers, and he spent it on the Baileys. They had become dependent on him. They enjoyed the nice things he bought them. When David entered the Baileys' life, Patty was about seven or eight, with almost 16 years between them. Patty didn't have a stable household. Her mother was a drunk, and supposedly one of her brothers was violating her. She didn't have a father figure in her life. She turned to David to fill that void david groomed her and her family he was kind to a family that was desperate buying them things they needed giving them his time being there none of this was out of the goodness of his heart it was to feed his narcissism linda knew what that house was like and tried to help patty by inviting her to come over frequently then having patty move in on december nineteenth, 1981 when she was 13 years old. Linda's intentions were pure, David's were not. David had a preference for younger girls who were vulnerable enough that if he gave them enough attention and brought enough material goods, they would worship him. Cinnamon described him as selfish and obsessed with material things. She said he always had to be the center of attention, but as long as you did what he wanted, he was very, very generous with you everyone could tell patty had a crush on david she worshipped him almost cult-like but what was the extent of their relationship you might ask david had started to molest patty when she was 11. full intercourse when she was 15. she said it was different with him than what had been done to her david was gentler and made her believe that this was how it was supposed to be older men taught younger girls When it started, he said that Linda was being mean to him and denying him, and then he promised to marry Patty when she was older. She was a vulnerable child, and he used that. He groomed her and manipulated her feelings into worshiping him and doing whatever he said. David also controlled Patty's life, he isolated her from other adults. He had pulled her from school as a means to prevent school officials from influencing her. He wanted to be the only one to control her. She was not a person. She was a puppet to David. He had even isolated her from her own family. Now when Cinnamon was 12, there was one incident that after she was arrested was reported for child abuse. David had ordered her to stand in front of the family, only in her underwear, and he hit her with a leather belt, leaving welts all over her. You can legally hit your child, but you cannot hit them so hard you leave marks all over them. That is excessive and is child abuse. When this happened, Cinnamon refused to cry. She stood there and took it, further angering David to which she told him she hated him. So he sent her away to live with her mother, which devastated her. As she didn't hate him, she was angry at the humiliation. She had to live by his rules if she wanted to live with him. David didn't keep people in his life who did not follow his rules. If you challenged him, he cut you off. Cinnamon loved both her parents, but she was shuttled between them. One could describe it as being used as a pawn between the two. But then, Linda got pregnant. Her body would show it, and it would no longer look like the young, untouched body that David preferred. And that is probably when his feelings towards her started to change. David had frequent accidents and took advantage of them to upgrade his lifestyle. They. There may have also been some fraud, but there's no actual proof, so I'm not going to go into that. It appears that some of these companies may have been hacked and his insurance was increased to give him more money when an accident happened. But all the evidence disappeared, and this was the 80s. Noel also discovered that there had been a huge insurance payment on Linda's death. Linda had been overinsured, as David had gone to multiple agencies for insurance on her. David had collected $843,626.68, today that would be $2,307,907.09. It would have been more, but one of the policies had that had not been completed. He just got $75,000 out of a settlement with them, because he had made one payment, but it would have been $400,000 more. If Linda had been murdered a little later than she was, today that would have been almost one million more dollars. Newwill discovered that David moved into a huge house with Patty, the baby, and his parents after Cinnamon's conviction. His parents did not like Patty. David also began to become very paranoid and obsessed with Patty's whereabouts. If she left the house at all without David, she had to have a beeper on her at all times and call him every 15 minutes to report her whereabouts, but Patty barely left the house without David one went to Cinnamon and told her all of this. Cinnamon was devastated. She realized her father had been lying to her. She had been under the impression that there was nothing going on with Patty, and that David made no money off of Linda's death, but he was living larger than he had when she was free. Cinnamon had no idea where her father was living. He kept that a secret from her, as he didn't want investigators coming to him. Reminder, this case had been officially closed as there was a conviction, but he was still paranoid about investigators. David put money into Cinnamon's account, but was coming less and less to visit. Oh, she had to call his company and mail letters there to get a hold of him. Now after she learned all of this from the investigators, she did, you know, have visits and talk with David's parents and they did let a few things slip to her because they weren't always fully aware of all of his lies to her. So she knew of the baby and that he lied to her about being too sick to visit. Oh, I didn't tell you that Patty got pregnant and had a baby. David denied this baby, said she got knocked up by a guy down the street. Cinnamon was hurt learning about this baby and David's denial of her to Cinnamon. Patty had told David she couldn't get pregnant, but that was a lie. She thought a baby would secure him to her, but David doesn't like the effects of a growing baby on a young body, so it backfired. He insisted she have an abortion, but this was probably the only time Patty ever disobeyed an order from David. She kept that baby. All of this was too much for Cinnamon, And at 18, after being locked up for almost four years, Cinnamon finally told the truth. She acknowledged that she did in fact remember everything. Remember, she had claimed amnesia that had been her father's idea to make it simple. What happened was her father claimed that Linda and Alan were planning to kill him and he needed to have Linda killed to prevent that, but he couldn't stomach it. So it had to be either Patty or Cinnamon. To the girls, this threat was real, and Linda had to be eliminated. Patty had tried, but couldn't do it either, so it was up to Cinnamon. Every time they were without Linda, they discussed how to kill her. At first, Cinnamon didn't take it seriously, but then the closer they got to March, the more she realized how serious her father was. She tried to talk him into leaving Linda, but he told her, if he did, she would never see him again. He would have to leave and go far away. David kept the pressure on Cinnamon, telling her, if he really loved me, you would do it. He kept asking her, do you love me? It had to be her because of her age. She would only get a very short sentence. Cinnamon loved her father. She loved Linda, but she didn't want to lose David. He had programmed her so that he was the center of the world, and she needed him. And then cinnamon finally admits that she did in fact kill linda but what would take some time to sink in was that david had planned on cinnamon dying that night he pushed the pills on her to take to make it look like a suicide he had also encouraged her to shoot herself in the head to put it at an angle and shoot this she refused to do cinnamon trusted her father and didn't think the dose would be lethal, but it was an extremely lethal dose. He had fully planned on her dying, but her stomach could not handle the pills and she unexpectedly regurgitated. But David had covered his tracks just in case. But his plan had been for her to die, and because she lived, he was paranoid that she would talk. But she kept it secret for four long years. It was his ignoring her and lying to her that caused her to talk to the investigators. She knew Patty could not have gotten pregnant by a guy down the street. Her father would never have allowed Patty to be gone from his sight that long without her beeper. Cinnamon came to understand how her father had manipulated her so much, how he used her like a puppet, but it was hard for her to accept. She really loved him. And then Cinnamon agreed to wear a wire during a visit to catch him on tape. She called him through his company to tell him she really needed to talk to him right away. She had something important to tell him. David was paranoid, and he believed, rightly, that they were still investigating the case. So on August 13, 1988, he came for a visit. This visit, he lied to her by saying Alan and Linda had been heavily into drugs. In Linda's autopsy, they found a very trivial amount of cocaine. No one knows how it got there. It could have been cross-contamination and easily explained away. It would have gotten into her system a few hours before her death, when she was busy with the family. David used this to his advantage and said she was heavily into drugs, which she wasn't, and then he tried to tell some tale about the mafia wanting his data process. It was all lies, but then he offered up Patty to take Cinnamon's place. I don't know how he thought it would happen, but he was saying that Patty could easily be able to take her place and Cinnamon could go free if she stayed quiet. But he never did say that he helped plan Linda's death. He's very evasive on that subject. He even refused to acknowledge Patty's baby as his. He also completely gaslighted her, made her feel like she was going crazy because he kept denying the truth, the truth she knew to be true, that she knew he knew. But he told her he wouldn't survive in jail, it would kill him. She didn't want that, right? David had used his many health problems to get sympathy and out of situations with his family before, and this was a tactic he thought would work, but it didn't. So the investigators didn't get enough and wanted Patty on the tape. So Cinnamon got her father to come back with Patty. Patty didn't fully confess, but did discuss the motive. Well, what she believed to be the motive that Linda and Alan were planning to kill David and she could not have that. David had saved her. She could not let Linda take him away from her. Anyways. On September 22, 1988, the police arrested David and Patty for their role in Linda's murder. Because of David offering up Patty and denying her daughter, she finally started to see through him and broke free to tell the truth. Her part in her sister's death had disturbed her, and she had attempted suicide at least three times. Patty pled guilty and was charged as a minor because she had been a juvenile. She got almost the same sentence as Cinnamon, but Patty thought she would have to spend decades in jail. But being a minor at the time of the crime, she would only serve about six years, but that's really not what she thought. She did not get any deal for her testimony about David, neither did Cinnamon. On the day David decided it was time for Linda's murder, he told the girls that if they didn't do it, then he was leaving and never coming back. He did not want to divorce Linda because she knew his whole process and could be competition for him. Plus, he would probably have to pay her alimony. He had lost interest in her and she had known. She had suspected that he was cheating on her. But I will tell you, this was far from over because what David did next shows how narcissistic and self-centered this man was. First, let's talk about the interrogation. This shows a little bit about what type of person David was. During the interrogation, he tried to show his importance and also tried to get sympathy from them for all his health problems. By the end, because of the questioning, David had changed his story to incorporate the information that the police had. He believed they bought it. His narcissism was so great, he couldn't see how they would not believe him. Like many narcissistic killers, he thought he was smarter than the police. Like he started with a completely different tale and thought they would just forget that and only accept what he said in the end. This was David's light. He was reinforced by everyone in his carefully chosen circle. He had learned that if he just kept talking, people would eventually come around to his thinking, and he thought that was exactly what happened in that room. He was confident that he had won out and convinced them of what he wanted them to believe was his truth. He wanted them to think it was all Patty. As they would soon learn, he had also convinced his parents that it was all Patty And they would back him up but the evidence did not affirm this they all tried to paint patty as dangerous and that David only allowed her to stay with them because she was dangerous but it was lies oh and all three denied he had a sexual relationship with patty but patty's bed was covered with clothes and looked like it was never slept in and when they arrested her she was in David's bed his parents knew that she slept in his bed all the time too but yet they denied she was sleeping with them. okay anyways david was held without bail and housed in the local jail he was put into protective custody in the jail david quickly learned that he no longer had any control over the two girls he tried to get back that control He used all his old tactics, even saying that if he had to stay in jail, it would kill him. He had so many health issues. They didn't want him to die, right? He loved them, but it didn't work. Patty actually would not acknowledge any of the letters he sent her, and he sent multiple ones a day. These were Patty's own words. David had us believe that the family was the most important thing and she was going to disrupt that family and we'd never be able to be a family once again. It was like a cult to David and he was the leader and this is when she dropped the bombshell that the investigators did not know about. What they hadn't discovered was that David and Patty had gone to Vegas and got married on July first, 1986. David used this marriage against Patty and hid it, eventually destroying the records because he was trying to keep it hidden from investigators, which she thought that they were no longer legally married, but he didn't think about the original records in Vegas that kept it a legal marriage. David also kept this secret from Cinnamon, though he would eventually claim it was to give his baby a guardian in case something happened to him as he was in poor health. Now, with David in jail, this is where Richard Steinhardt is introduced into this conspiracy. I'm not going to go into all the details here, but if you want to learn more, read Ann Rule's book. Even in jail, David thought he could manipulate the whole situation and was trying to get Patty to change her testimony. Once he realized she wouldn't, he decided to hire a hitman to take her out. Plus. The prosecutor, and Newell, the man who investigated everything. He blamed them, not himself, for his circumstances. Plus, if they were taken out, the prosecution would have to start all over and there wouldn't be enough time for the new team to learn the whole case. And since the Constitution grants people the right to a speedy trial, he thought this was his way out. He offered Richard a lot of money And he actually grew close to Richard, and he liked Richard. Richard was being held against his will to be a material witness in another murder case. Richard didn't plan on testifying and was going to run as soon as he could. That's pretty much what they thought and why they were keeping him. Richard also had full intentions of killing these three people for David. But someone else snitched and when Richard learned more, especially the molestation, he was disgusted with David. He agreed to help them nail David. He wasn't going to help no child molester. They got recordings of Richard and David planning these murders. Not only that, but also a plan to help David escape from jail. This plan would happen when David went to the dentist. When asked about the fleece that would be taking him, David did not care if they were killed because his life was worth more than theirs. That's right, he said that on the tape. Richard told David that it was done and described how he had killed the two men to David. David was happy. It was recorded how extremely happy he was that these three people were dead. So, of course, David was not happy when he discovered he was set up and they had not been killed. This murder plot would be used in his upcoming trial against him as it showed the extent he would go to to keep everyone quiet. The trial began on May 7th, 1990. Even during the trial, David's need to control undermined many attempts his lawyers did to try and get him acquitted. Now, the prosecution had a lot of work and had to discuss every single lie that Patty and Cinnamon had told. And these girls were honest on the stand and admitted to every lie, they were truthful. And this angered David. These girls had broken free of his control and turned against him. The years of work he had put into controlling these girls had been undone. He had isolated these girls as a means to control, but they now were living free of him and able to make their own choices. To David, women were possessions to be used and tossed aside when done with. Now let's get to the closing arguments. David's lawyer actually put all the blame on Patty and Cinnamon. He twisted it around. That Patty was the manipulator and started when she was 11, that she had forced herself onto David as they rode in a truck together. An 11-year-old child forced herself onto a grown-ass 27-year-old adult male. This is so fucking disgusting. Blaming a child—he was an adult who could have controlled that situation. Even if it's true, eleven-year-old forcing herself on you—something is wrong in that household, and that child needs to be removed. No eleven-year-old should be doing that. But blaming a child—it's fucking disgusting. I'm sorry. Excuse my language. So I'm happy to report, David was found guilty, and when the judge sentenced him to life. Imprisonment. This is what he said. The trouble is, Mr. Brown, you're a scary person. I have some concerns for my own safety. You don't look like Charlie Manson. He's crazy to look at, but you look a lot saner than your own defense attorney. But look what you did from jail. Look what you did to your own children, to your sister-in-law. It's scary to think you can manipulate people and do all this and not bat an eye. Even Charlie Manson didn't use family. You're a master manipulator. I think the circumstances of this case are unbelievable. You seem to have a pleasant personality, but you had no concern for your daughter, for your sister-in-law, for your wife. If Cinnamon had gone under, you would have walked away. You make Charlie Manson look like a piker. The true evilness is... If Cinnamon had died, he would have gotten away with it. Now, Anne Rule actually went to the prison and interviewed David. He changed his story to what he thought would help his side of the story with Anne. This time it was all Cinnamon. She was out of control and a very, very violent teenager. She manipulated and changed her story, not him. Anne has a lot of experience with psychopaths and could not be easily fooled by him this was something he didn't expect a smart educated woman who could see through his lies now that concludes the tragic death of linda bailey brown but a few things left to mention cinnamon served seven years for her role in the murder of linda bailey brown upon release patty was able to get custody of her baby then married and had twins the other baby was raised by david's mother. And in 2014, David died in prison at 61 years of age. Next week's case is from 2011, and it's a very tragic case that is worth exploring to understand the dynamics at play in that case. And with that being said, thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.